Welcome to the California Sun Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sheckman. In today's digital age, the narrative around technology often oscillates between two extremes. On one end, we have the techno-optimists, people like Mark Andreessen who see technology as the panacea for all of society's ills, a force that will propel us toward unprecedented growth, prosperity, and perhaps even a utopian future. On the other end, we have voices like our guest today, Jonathan Taplin, who warns us that this techno-optimism is both naive and potentially perilous. In his new book, The End of Reality, Taplin offers a counterpoint to the Boys with Toys school of technology. He argues that the grand vision of a handful of California-centric billionaires, Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, and even Mark Andreessen, are not just fantastical, but are actively diverting our collective attention away from the pressing crises of income inequality, climate change, and the erosion of democracy. These are men, Taplin contends, who are selling us a future that benefits them, while in Taplin's view, exacerbating the very problems they claim to solve. So we must ask, are we on the cusp of a technological renaissance that will solve our most pressing problems, as Andreessen would have us believe? Or are we being led down a dangerous path by the four who Taplin argues are most interested in escaping to Mars, immersing in the metaverse, or hiding their fortunes in crypto? rather than tackling real-world issues. To dissect these polarizing viewpoints and to offer us his understanding of where we might be headed, I am delighted to be joined by Jonathan Taplin. Jonathan Taplin is a writer, film producer, and scholar. He's the director emeritus of the Annenberg Innovation Lab at the University of Southern California and a professor at USC's Annenberg School. His personal journey has put him at the crest of many major cultural waves of the past several decades. It is my pleasure to welcome Jonathan Taplin here to the California Sun podcast to talk about the end of reality, how four billionaires are selling a fantasy future of the metaverse, Mars, and crypto. Jonathan Taplin, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be here, Jeff. Well, it is a delight to have you here. Why should we care if people like Elon Musk want to go to Mars, if Peter Thiel wants to live to 200, or if Mark Zuckerberg wants to spend his life doing mixed martial arts in the metaverse? Why does that matter to us? Well, Tim Snyder, who wrote kind of the seminal book on the erosion of democracy, a Yale professor said, to abandon facts is to abandon freedom. If nothing is true, then all is spectacle. The biggest wallet pays for the most blinding lights. So these four guys are the biggest wallets, and they're paying for the blinding lights that erodes not only democracy, but erodes our ability to tackle the real problems that we need to do. I mean, I'm not a Luddite in any sense. I believe that technology can be an extraordinarily helpful thing, uh, just the notion of solar power and wind power replacing digging coal and oil out of the ground uh, seems to me to be a huge benefit. But their view of the future is very different from the one that I hold. And their view of the future is that the AI and robotic future will make employment for a great deal of people unreasonable and so sam altman who is the ceo of 
uh, OpenAI said that he expects the marginal cost of intelligence to fall very close to zero within 10 years. That means because AI will replace many, many kind of normal jobs, copywriters in ad agencies and things like that, uh, the earning power of many, many workers would be drastically reduced in that scenario. It would result in a transfer of wealth from labor to the owners of capital so dramatic that it could be remedied only by a massive countervailing redistribution known as universal basic income. So that's from the guy who's the leading AI proponent in America. And that's a vision of the future that I find um, terrifying. The notion that most people will sit home in their pajamas paid by the government to do nothing is, is not a, a world I want to inhabit. And yet, when you paint with, with one brush for all these guys, does that present a problem? Because Andreessen, in, his, in fact, in his recent Techno Manifesto, talks about really the counter to that. He is very much opposed to this idea of people just sitting around and, and tries to make the argument that, in fact, what this will also do is bring down dramatically the marginal cost of goods and services in a way that makes everything more affordable for everybody. Well, look, uh, in a column this morning, Ezra Klein says that essentially what Andreessen is posing as a kind of reactionary futurism. He, you know, he quotes the Italian fascist uh, Zanetti. He's uh, he's a guy who believes that uh, there's so many things that tech does, and and anybody who opposes that vision is essentially. Um, putting people in in danger and, and killing people. Uh, but his screed is so filled with lies. We believe in competition because we believe in evolution. Well, that's nonsense. He doesn't believe in competition at all. His OpenSea platform, which is the largest NFT platform in the world, has 88% market share. Now, the fact that he sold in the fall of 2021 20 million people, NFTs like bored apes that he told them, and he sold them for 50,000 apiece. And the Wall Street Journal reported last week that you couldn't get $50 for one of those bored apes that you bought. And, and you know, he also was the biggest crypto player and was happy to sell his crypto at 60,000 a coin when he was having Matt Damon and uh, you know, Larry David and Bron James tout crypto in, in the fall of 2021, and, and all the suckers came in. And by April of 2022, Bitcoin was down to 19,000 a coin. So, you know, he, he's not really telling the truth about this, you know, and uh, I, I know he, he opposes universal basic income. But Mark Zuckerberg and Peter Thiel and Elon Musk believe it's probably the only solution. When we talk about the distraction, when you talk about particularly with Musk and Zuckerberg being maybe the two stronger examples of those bright lights and those distractions, is the fault with them or is the fault with us for being taken in by it? 
Well, it's it's probably both. You know, yesterday, 42 attorneys generals, that is the attorney general from 42 states, sued Meta for purposely addicting their children to Instagram and uh, Facebook. Now, they have lots of evidence, many from insiders who talk about how the A-B testing is used to make sure that people click on stuff. And it's it's not healthy. I mean, you look at the point that the, you know, the famous chart that uh, has been published about what happened to teenage self-harm, that is suicide, self-poisoning marking stuff like that uh it takes off in 2011 and goes almost straight up and that was the year that facebook introduced the like button and the next year they bought instagram and and put all those features into instagram so i would say that certainly social media has been a net negative to society but i think what's worse now is here we are in a critical factor where actually technology could improve the society and elon musk is concentrating on asking us the tens, taxpayers to give him 10 trillion dollars to go to mars with 50 people now what reason we have to go to mars he won't tell us other than to say we should be a multi-planet species and the fact that there's no oxygen on Mars and it's a totally dead planet and we have been digging up the Earth on Mars for 10 years with robots that don't need oxygen and, and don't are not going to get skin cancer for being exposed to the extreme radiation on Mars, uh, says to me that this is a, a complete nonsensical uh, idea. And yet, Obviously, from Elon's point of view, it'd be great because he makes about 25% gross margin on every flight he flies for NASA. So a $10, $10 trillion trip would put $2.5 trillion in his pocket, uh, never mind what good it would do for society. Uh, and, and, you know, the other problem is Someone once said, democracy's assassins always need accomplices. And these guys are the accomplices of the assassins of democracy. Donald Trump wouldn't exist if it wasn't for social media. And um, here we are coming up to an election in 2024 in which the deployment of AI, deep fakes, fake video, fake audio, fake pictures will be at scale in a way that will make the 2016 election look like child's play. And yet they have no objection to it. They would like it to stay just the way it is. They like chaos. They like gridlock politically because no one will tax their trillion dollar fortunes. Nobody will regulate their companies, which are most of which are monopolies. Um, so, uh, you know, this is not healthy for society. Talk about why these four, why you have singled in on, on these four in particular. Well, they've all come down on the side of, 
authoritarianism. You know, they claimed in their years ago that they were libertarians and maybe even that they were kind of liberal, you know, um, you know, some of them voted for Obama in 2008. But they have morphed in the last 10 years as the Andreessen screed you you noted earlier into reactionaries uh and and the the notion of liberty is completely missing peter thiel finances jd vance who is so against the liberty of women to control their own body that it's not even an you know funny you know so um elon musk calls himself a libertarian but he's really a crony capitalist he he's everything he gets from SpaceX is from the U.S. government. Uh, every dollar he gets for his satellite company is from governments. Uh, you know, and all the profits he gets, as I pointed out in my book, in Tesla comes from selling his clean car credits to other car companies that don't have as large an electric vehicle fleet. So it's it's total nonsense. And, you know, quite honestly, Teal, Musk, and Andreessen are, are shading into fascism. And although, you know, Zuckerberg is not quite there yet, he certainly kind of goes along with their things. Kara Swisher has pointed out that Andre I mean, Zuckerberg came to the Silicon Valley, kind of a wide-eyed, kind of liberal kid, and and quickly saw that Teal and Andreessen were the two smartest guys in the room. He got them to invest in his company and has slowly kind of morphed towards them. Expand that a little bit because all four of these guys have huge numbers of disciples, particularly in Silicon Valley, but even outside of the Valley. Yeah. As you noted in your intro, you know, I grew up in a culture that was aspirational. And the culture heroes of my day were, you know, Bob Dylan and John Lennon, you know. And today the culture heroes are Elon Musk and Sam Bankman Freed and other fraudsters. Uh and and some of the biggest names in journalism, like Walter Isaacson or or uh Michael Lewis, are hailing these guys as if they're important uh you know people in the uh, you know like a slightly preapic uh thomas edison and and that's just not true um and yet they are very good at hyping things now you know john d rockefeller controlled the oil business but he didn't control the media business so elon musk controls both the space business He's the only rocket company the U.S. government uses, and he controls the media business through Twitter, even though, you know, as Bloomberg pointed out yesterday, Twitter's finances are quickly falling into complete disarray. He's losing users, and he's lost advertisers completely. And, and his reaction to that is, is to blame the Anti-Defamation League 
for having the temerity to point out that once he let all the neo-Nazis and the Kanye Wests of the world back on his platform to flood it with anti-Semitism, that the ADL had the temerity to point that out to advertisers is what enrages Elon. This is a classic shoot the messenger syndrome. Is there a larger force, though, in society, in, in our culture today, that is driving the admiration for people like these four guys? Do we need to look deeper than just these four? Because as, as history tells us in terms of technology and in terms of business in general, that, that individual leaders of, of companies, stars in, in, in the business world, come and go. There was a time when people knew who was running maybe U.S. Steel or Kodak or what have you. And these guys will fade away too, and it might be one of the leaders of the 1,400 unicorns that are out there right now. But is there some deeper societal problem that is driving this? There's two societal problems. As I, there's a chapter in the book called Fantasy Culture. So, you know, our culture has morphed away from something that could be tied to realism, that could be tied to everyday concerns. And as my mentor and friend, Marty Scorsese, has pointed out, if you go to a Marvel movie, it's, it's not anything to do with cinema. It's, it's like a theme park ride. And the same thing applies to music. I mean, you know, uh, the kind of gangster rap is a kind of nihilistic, uh, cultural, aspirational notion of how many, you know, Maseratis you own and and how many women you've screwed. and, and, And it's not healthy. And if you think about the the TV culture, just think about what's happened since 2000. So we get The Sopranos, and then we get Mad Men, and then we get Breaking Bad and Succession. And and all of these are dark anti-hero dramas in which really bad people are battling other bad people for power. And is it any surprise that after 15 years of that, when we arrive to the election of 2016, that someone says, hey, we should have a president like Tony Soprano. And that's what we get. We get a gangster. And and that sense of gangsterism was really on display in the last three weeks, uh, you know, in the Republican uh, search for a leader. You know, those people who were not again, who were not for Jim Jordan, had their lives threatened, their wives' lives threatened, you know, literal death threats, because they didn't vote for a, a guy who was a classic part of the election denying scheme. And now, just out of tiredness, we've got another election denier, third, two steps away from the presidency. When one looks at those programs, though, the ones that you mentioned, the ones that, that, that are driving kind of the cultural zeitgeist at the moment, to what extent, though, are those simply a reflection of what the public wanted? Well, you have a point there in the sense that the, the time that I could find as, as someone who's a scholar of media and a, and a producer of media, the time I could find that was similar to that 
was the early 1950s in what you and I know as film noir, in which, whether it was Humphrey Bogart or, or somebody else, again, you had these kind of wounded, dark anti-heroes in the dramas, and, and people did classically bad things. Think of Double Indemnity, where right. they kill the husband. You know, I mean, so... And why was that? Well, we just come out of a war. The atomic bomb had gone off and we had a general sense of doom. I mean, I'm I'm 76, so I actually grew up in the early 50s doing duck and cover drills. I mean, that was a regular part of my primary education was a siren would go off in Cleveland and everybody would have to get under their desk. Um, now, of course, that could lead to kind of dark view. And, and it could be that the combination of 9-11 and then followed by 2008 Great Recession, maybe that put us in a bad mood. And, and we thought, well, the gangsters are ruling on Wall Street, so why shouldn't they rule on, on HBO, you know? Uh, but that doesn't mean that culture can't have a renaissance you know i mean that 50s dark period in the early 50s and the thing was followed by the early 60s which was a complete turn i mean bob dylan was saying the times they are are changing we we would sing we shall overcome uh you know there is there was a, a great deal of hope um maybe somehow tied to John Kennedy's presidency, maybe just somehow tied to the sense that we were tired of that very kind of conformist Republican notions that we'd been living under all through the 50s. But, you know, cultures can change. And it is my hope that our culture is going to go through a change. And part of that is the resistance to AI. So, We've been having two major labor strikes here in Hollywood, and they're both about AI. So the screenwriters, you know, the studios wanted to put all the screenplays they owned into a large learning model. And so Marvel could then, you know, have some guy instead of a screenwriter, just write a four paragraph prompt. Oh, the Hulk meets Iron Man in Iceland, and then in the second act, Black Widow comes in, and the third act, something else happens. And and in, in an hour or so, they'd have a first draft screenplay. Now, of course, it would be banal and stupid and not very good, but it would be a first draft screenplay. And then, because they couldn't get a copyright on something that's written by a machine, They'd hand it to some poor out-of-work screenwriter and say, fix this. And he'd work on it for three weeks for 10000 a week. And Zoom, you know, they'd have a, a ready screenplay in a month as opposed to the usual nine months and $750,000. So Mark Andreessen says this will revolutionize Hollywood. It will make it much more efficient. Well, at one point in the history of culture, has efficiency been 
the important issue. Was that was was Tolstoy worried about efficiency? You can go down to the Bob Dylan Museum in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and see 10 individual handwritten drafts of Like a Rolling Stone. It didn't come in two minutes out of a machine. It came from a guy's heart and hard work. And that's what needs to maintain. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully the artists will at least be the holdouts. I'm aware that AI will replace the people who have been doing, you know, x-ray, you know, for years or people who've been accountants or people who've been copywriters at ad agencies. I, I don't think we can resist that. But the artists are holding out and the actors are saying, you cannot scan somebody's body and own them forever, which is what the studios want. Um, they want to be able to create a bank of extras that are virtual. While there's this economic pushback to AI, are you surprised that there isn't more cultural pushback within the arts community, that there hasn't been more over the past five or six years in terms of, of creative efforts that push back against this culture that we're talking about, the same way that we saw it in the 60s with movies, with music, etc. We don't see even a hint of that, I don't think, at this point. I'm sad. I mean, look, there is pushback in the sense that 10,000 individual writers signed a letter organized by the Authors Guild to the big AI barons saying, we want to get paid if you use our content to train um, your models. But that's about economics. Uh, I understand. Look, it could be that the mantle of cultural leader has been passed from the musicians to the sports heroes. I mean, you think about Coco Goff saying, hey, those people who glued their sneakers to the concrete in the tennis stadium and interrupted my match had a perfect right to do that. Or LeBron James giving, you know, a million dollars to get people to vote, you know, register to vote. Um, you know, it could be that they're the new uh, leaders of the counterculture. I, I am clear we need a counterculture. And whether the the traditional creative artists like painters and photographers and musicians and novelists will step up is yet to be determined. You are totally correct in that. Um, they have not shown up yet. Uh, whether they will is probably the most critical question that we have. Otherwise, the culture gets determined by the Peter Thiels and the Elon Musks and the Mark Zuckerbergs. And these are people who don't care about art. You know, obviously, if, if, if Mark Andreessen is going to sell you a board ape for $50,000 in the fall of 2021, because he can make it by machine in a minute, he didn't give a damn about art. And he doesn't give a damn about artists. And if 
you know, stable diffusion can steal 12 million photographs from Getty images, all of them copyrighted, and use it to train, you know, their AI generator, and then just tell, you know, Getty to pound sand, and all the photographers whose work was on Getty, this is, this is not right. And this has to be fixed. You know, I, I just want to say one other thing that worries me. So Andreessen has this company called Anduril, and it is the premier manufacturer of autonomous weapons. And for your audience, an autonomous weapons is sometimes known as a killer robot. And you might have thoughts of Terminator or, you know, RoboCop, but it's not far from that. In other words, it's a weapon that has a gun in which the AI, not some operator in a trailer in Las Vegas, um, the AI makes the decision to pull the trigger. Now, in testing these, the AI has had a very hard time telling at 100 yards between a man with a gun and a man with a broom. Uh, but that being said, when at the UN last year, every country in the world, including China, with the exception of the US and Russia, wanted to ban these weapons. And US and Russia both vetoed the resolution. So that tells you, you know, this is notion, you know, where when Andreessen in his grade says, we believe there is no material problem, whether created by nature or by technology that can't be solved with more technology. Is that the problem he's trying to solve? You know, um, it's, it's disturbing. Jonathan Taplin, his book is The End of Reality, How Four Billionaires Are Selling a Fantasy Future of the Metaverse, Mars, and Crypto. Jonathan, I thank you so much for spending time with us today here on the California Sun podcast. It's great to be with you, Jeff. Thank you. And thank you for listening and joining us here on the California Sun podcast. I hope you'll join us next week. I'm Jeff Shackman. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share and help others find it by rating and reviewing it on iTunes, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.